You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Okay, so I am going to be in conversation with an energy expert because I've been wondering and I'm looking at the way things are going at the moment. Every expert seems to be suggesting, in fact, even ESCOM themselves, they're not promising that this is going to be sorted out anytime soon. They're saying, well, uh, maybe look into about maybe a year of this kind of load shedding on and off. We're not getting great news coming through. The fact that we were even talking about the possibilities of load shedding stage eight Stage eight, which is essentially going to be where we have 50% of the day being blacked out um, of of your day. Uh, What does that mean? And how are you going to survive this time? And how can we get ourselves off the grid? That is the question for me. How possible is it for a normal household to get itself off the grid? Paul Lombard is an energy expert and he joins us now on the line. He's from Renergy. And uh, Paul... If I were to decide today, I want to get off the grid, how possible is it? Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, Pamela, and good afternoon to your listeners. Thank you very much for bringing up this important conversation. Hmm. Um, Look, going off the grid is definitely something that has become a lot more feasible in the last decade as the solar industry has matured. Hmm. So previously, we had really bad equipment that would always need replacing. Uh, With the large influx of independent power projects, we are now getting commercial-grade equipment that can run for 25 or 30 years. And now it becomes viable for residences, um, businesses, schools, offices. Everyone can start to initially potentially just do 50% off the grid Mm -hmm. with the the decision to take the risk of the, the, the generation load off the grid at a later stage once you're capable with your system. Okay. I, I, I remember a time, Paul, when, you know, we were looking at figures, and I think the fig- figures haven't moved too much. We're looking at figures of about 250,000 rand if you wanted to completely go off the grid uh, to kick off, to kick start off this plan. In other words, the initial the initial costs, the layout costs. But yes. it's possible to get those financed. Am I, am I correct in saying that now? Absolutely, absolutely correct. Um, you know, to take a, a four-person house off the grid, you're probably looking at about 200000 to 250000 um, To take a, a, double, a, a home with two people living in it, you're probably looking at about maybe one twenty up to about $180,000. Um, fortunately, a lot of the banks are coming to the party. Uh, finance houses such as Merchant West, Green Thing, um, various other institutions are starting to offer financing both to the resident as well as to the, the commercial entity. The, the developer. Actually, to the developer, to actually be able to take the the, the installments down to about a, a seven-year period, which then makes it quite a break-even point. So if you're spending 2,000 Rand on electricity now, you might be spending two fires, but essentially you would own your power after X amount of years, probably six or seven years. That's interesting because, okay, so we're looking at maybe a lifespan of about 25 years per per the, the equipment that you have at your disposal. You would be financing this maybe for about seven years. Uh, essentially, you are probably going to be paying what you are paying for your electricity bill anyway, except that you're not reliant on, on, on the power provided by ESCOM. In other words, this is more reliable. Exactly. So that's, you know, in, in an ideal world, um, from a, a commercial standpoint, if they're spending 10 grand a month, they're probably a lot easier at putting their 10,000 towards financing and actually going completely off the grid in the first in the first stage. Whereas with a household that's maybe spending a thousand a month, that's where it becomes a little bit more difficult from from a financing perspective. But essentially, the, the equipment that Regenergy sells 
um, is modular and scalable. So you can start mm-hmm. with a very small entry system that achieves potentially 20 to 50% off the grid. And then over the coming years, with the money that you're going to save from not paying ESCOM, you could actually build out on that system. So there's lithium batteries, which can last 10 to 12 years. And then we sell a super capacitor battery, which has a 45-year lifespan and a 10-year swap-out guarantee. So if someone is looking to really go off-grid for the long term, there's technology that's now available to you that won't require frequent replacement, so it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg every couple of years. You're going to spend this once-off, and at that point, once the system paid itself back, you're generating profit. And from a, a general statistic perspective, a household that's just paying 1,000 or 2,000 rand to ESCOM every month, over the coming 20 years, you're going to give ESCOM more than a million rand. So if you were to invest that into a solar asset, even if it was 150,000 rand, you would be putting that 850,000 rand back in your pocket that you would have handed over to ESCOM over the 20 years. Listen, Paul, if, if we were handing over to ESCOM and ESCOM gave us results, we wouldn't mind. But the problem yes. is that exactly. I mean, you know, everybody, I think, is at their wit's end with ESCOM at the moment because we, we are willing to pay uh, many residents. I think I'm, I'm speaking for many people who are willing to pay, but they also need to, uh, you know people to, to have services delivered to them. So listen, let's mm-hmm. take those calls because, Paul, I think you'll be able to answer many of the questions of people that people who are actually seriously now fed up businesses which are fed up who want to know how am i going to get my business going this is this is actually messing up with my business it's messing up with my lifestyle um calls on how we can actually begin the process of getting off the grid i'll take those calls on 0891-104-207 if you want to know how to get off the grid bit by bit you can do it this is the person to speak to paul lombard is from renergy and uh, he's able to help us through the process of trying to get us off the grid so that we can all stop being so miserable on SAFM. I'm in conversation with Paul Lombard, who is from Renergy, and they are the people who we've asked to join us to call to talk to us about if I wanted to get off the grid, as I'm sure many people now are, are you know, at that point where they, they've had it. This load shedding story is becoming a problem, and it's becoming a problem that is going to be a sustained problem. That's what they're saying to us. How do we become independent? How we become? How do we become um, people? That, how do you get off the grid? So, Paul, th- there are a couple of things that I want us to to for you to assist us with lots of people are saying that even though they were for instance on a generator the surge disturbed the generator help us understand that yes yeah, so when when escom is, is doing this load setting campaign um, a lot of the time it's due to inefficient capacity or substations blowing and what can actually happen in those instances is that you can get a voltage surge which exceeds what is considered our normal um, tolerate, uh, tolerable uh, range, which is normally between 220 and 240 volts. Um, so as soon as a substation goes down, it can cause irregular voltages throughout the grid, which can cause um, appliances to blow and as well as generators to surge and, and cause damage. So this on and off with the grid can actually end up costing the consumer even more down the line. Um, through those irregular voltages that surge through the, the network. Okay, so then if we get off the grid, does this this wouldn't the same thing happen? So when you install uh, good quality solar equipment, mm-hmm. they normally have a, a pure sine wave included in the inverter, 
And what that then does is it takes the input voltage, which can be irregular, but then stabilizes it and puts out a stable voltage on the other side. So essentially, once you've installed uh, an inverter that you're starting to go a, a percentage off the grid, whether it be 30% or 50%, you actually eradicate a lot of those existing voltage irregularity mm. problems just by having this equipment, which can then um, further the lifespan or, or increase the lifespan of other appliances in the home because you're actually getting a, a better signal of power from, from what the grid would have previously supplied. So a lot of what I think makes sense, it makes sense to me because I'm an African and because I live here and we've, we experience sun most of the time in Africa. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. A lot of correct. what you would suggest is to go on solar power. Is that, is that correct? Absolutely. You know, from a, from a European standpoint, uh, the likes of Germany and Austria and them, over 50% of their power is generated through renewables. You know what, Paul? It's interesting because I was having this conversation with somebody because if Europe is able to go on renewables like solar, where there is less sun, what's the problem? Why can't we do the same thing here? Precisely. So Germany is getting it right with 150 days of sunlight a year. Mm. South Africa, we get an average of 300 days of sunlight a year. So in terms of setting up a generator or batteries for that rainy day, kind of like we're experiencing in Joburg at the moment. Um, it's only really a week here and there and about 60 days over the entire year. So we could run 100% off the grid just with the renewable energy that's available to us. Mm. It's kind of a, it's a resource that's at our fingertips, but mm. our government hasn't decided to really capitalize on this mm. natural resource uh, for example, Dubai uses the oil to uh, alleviate taxes for the society. Now, our government could have gone on a, on a solar campaign to make us 90 or 80, 90% completely renewable energies and drop taxation for the population. Um, and we would still be able to achieve things within that sort of realm. Um, what, what is really exciting for businesses is that you can get a, a tax incentive for actually doing solar. So there's a, a Section 12B in the Income Tax Act that says that you can depreciate the entire asset in the first year of commissioning. So if you were to, say, spend three or 400,000 rand as a business on a solar system, you could write that off against your profits for the year in year one or write it off over three years basically as a, as a 28% tax rebate. All right, but, 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 but Paul, for me, there's a bit of a problem there. So we can incentivize a business who's going to go off the grid in this manner, whereas we yes. could also subsidize the common person like myself. If I wanted to go off the grid, why can't that be subsidized? Correct. And you know, we, we've been meeting for about four years, showing them solutions for rural, for the or for the or, uh, all the communities that... that presently get what they call the FBE, the free basic electricity provision. Mm, mm. Um, if you are providing electricity for free, you must be generating it for free. If it's costing you to produce energy that you get for free, that is never a sustainable business mm, model. Mm. So we've been saying to them, with this free basic electricity provision, you could in- incorporate renewable energy solutions that, like you say, would be able to subsidize the average person, uh, whether they be rural or urban, um, to a, to a certain degree that would allow other areas to be focused on more, more importantly. 
I think th- that's a conversation for another day because I, I, I certainly <laughs> don't understand why why it's so simple for me. You know, we've got wind in this country. We've got the sun. So simple for us to use that. And, and they keep talking about the energy mix, but I don't see anybody trying to implement uh, part of what needs to be done. So if yeah, I, the, the, the real weakness, sorry to interrupt you. Again, yes. The real weakness is always in the storage. If, if you're not able to store that energy that you generate during daylight, you can't really use it at night time. And that's why most governments around the world and in South Africa have been a little bit risk-averse or sort of avoiding renewables because there's a big cost component to storing all that energy to be used later. So the fact that the technology for storage has improved so much with the introduction of supercapacitors as well, you now have, you can build megawatt plants that will never lose capacity. And that then unlocks the entire renewable energy sector. Yeah, Paul, having said that, we've also heard government has just announced that they need to now uh, give more capacity for storage of waste, nuclear waste, for energy. So what I'm saying is whether you want to spend it on storage of solar power or wind power, you, you still have the same problem government is spending somewhere else. They've just spent it on, 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 on actually increasing storage space for waste for nuclear. Correct. And you know, when, when they're trying to compare cost per kilowatt, they never really factor in the cost of uh, the waste removal from a nuclear site. Mm. So that can be a million rand a barrel. You know? So it really is a, a massive cost for the government. But when they compare cost per watt, they're only comparing generation cost. Mm. And that's when solar is sort of misleading because you also get a big initial outlay mm. and they only look at the first year. So what's the cost of producing in that first year? But if you start to look at the cost of power over the coming 20 years, wind and solar are the future. We have great windy regions along the eastern coast. Um, that also is one of the considerations or the, the concerns with wind power is that it's, it's normally a coastal region and the coastal region is normally not your biggest consumer. So where you're generating the power, you now need to send it somewhere else to be used. Whereas with solar, it's completely decentralized. Each building or each home has exactly what it needs to supply what it needs in a day or over two days or three days if you build in autonomy. Um, but essentially with the decentralized system, in my opinion, not much can touch solar. Once you add the correct battery that's going to that's gonna run and keep up with the panel of lifespan. Yeah, and also there's the cost of risk as well when it comes to nuclear. Uh, Paul, if if we had to begin, if I gave you a call today, what would be the first thing that one would be able to do to alleviate some of the pressure that we have sitting at the moment? That That is, I mean, I don't want to say affordable because that's quite relative, but that would be the most effective immediately. So we, you know, this is question our methodology is actually to go into the building and measure the power. Mm-hmm. Once we know exactly where you're using your power and across which circuits are, are your biggest consumers, with the first step is always efficiency, trying to find ways to make the building run more leanly mm-hmm. because then you can pair a smaller asset that's going to generate the power needs. Um, but essentially, going through a process of understanding what power you need and then building a system that generates that kind of a power profile is always the lowest cost and generates the highest return on investment. So we try and do things from a, from a position of information and data, capturing all your loads, understanding how you use your power, and then essentially designing the system customized for, for your application. Um, so it's, it's, a, 
It's a multi multifaceted thing. I would say that the largest contributor to most of our electricity bill is our geyser. Traditionally, it's about 35 to 40%. So I would say a, a large majority of our customers take on the solar geyser in the first year. Okay. You could spend somewhere between 20 and 30,000 rand, mm. put in a solar geyser, you know, and you've always got hot water, yeah. and you've reduced your bill by 40%. Then in the next year, you consider what do we do with the solar panels, batteries, to build out a system that complements the geyser and starts to bring all your lights, all your plugs, and you might just leave the stove off initially. Mm. And then at the final stage, you include the stove, and at that point, everything in your house is running off of solar. Really appreciate the time you've given us, Paul Lombard, who is from Renergy, and they are energy experts, renewable energy experts, and thank you very much for that insight. That, that will be available as a podcast. I think many of you will go back to that conversation to just see how possible is it for you to get off the grid. One thirty now, let's introduce Utsi Saku for the latest in headlines.